212. Checking peak volume levels. Peak, peak volume. Good. I too will check peak volume levels. Peak, 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 peak. Great. So here we are. It is the first uh, episode. This is the pilot episode of this little podcast that we've put together. We don't have a name quite yet. I have some ideas. I'm not willing to uh, divulge them yet. We'll settle on them probably by the time we release. I was going to say, how are you going to list this if we don't have a name? This is episode one. They recommend we record three. If we've got three in us, by that point, we'll probably have a name decided. Got it. My name is Paul. I'm Laura. We are a happily married couple. We uh, So happy. So happy. We have decided that uh, we have a lot of thoughts on board games, and we have several board games to play through and several board games to give thoughts on, and we figured... Uh, a good way to uh, catalog our thoughts and a good way to, to really make sure that we're getting the most out of our collection instead of just having a, a bunch of cardboard sitting on our shelf is to document, to play all of our games three times, document them in this podcast format in the hopes that anyone out there might be able to also benefit from our experiences. And our wisdom, most importantly. I would like to add that it's not really just about... Uh, playing through our games to kind of chat about them. It's really more that you have a problem <laughs> with buying so many games. Great. We've already started coming in. Welcome to our therapy session. <laughs> this is our therapy session. Uh, so my husband, like many board game aficionados, has one of those giant five by five board game shelves that is filled to the brim with games. There's also a closet upstairs, which has more games in it, and it's also filled to the brim. Technically, expansions, and it's only half full. You could also say it's half empty. Fair. Upstairs closet is only half full. Half empty. Of all the expansions that we have, because he couldn't figure out how to make everything that we have fit. <laughs> so therefore, the most logical thing to do is put all the uh, expansions for everything upstairs in its own little cubby. Yeah. And I would just like to say on a side note that I do not feel like the uh, second and third Azul games are really expansions <laughs> of Azul. So like he bends the rules a little bit, folks. I'm just saying. But in my opinion, the true reason we're doing this is for the catharsis of being able to, in some cases, put to rest new games that you buy mm. that just don't make the cut for our shelves. Yeah. Uh, on my on my collection on the old uh, board game geek, I have owned over the course of the last twenty years, I've owned about five hundred and fifty games. Um, that's not how many we have now. We're in the, about the one hundred and sixty range plus, as you mentioned, the expansions. But it just occurred to me that that. I have not documented my thoughts about any of them, and I'm a horrible writer. So um, we're we're gonna have conversations about our games, I think. And that, that if other people find them enjoyable, then that's all the better. Perfect. Uh, I think it's appropriate that we're starting this podcast um, on the day, uh, the week after we got back from PAX, PAX Unplugged. Yes, also appropriate that we're starting this podcast the week after we got back from PAX, because how many games did you come home from PAX with? I don't know. I know that I blew my budget by about 150%, um, but it wasn't a very high budget, so it's a win all around. I came back with probably about 12 or 13 games, I think. Uh, some big, some small, uh, some we've already played through, and you folks will get to hear our thoughts on them. 
snacks. I did come away with a few straight from the booth. Mainly my haul came from the discount section. Uh, walking back with a giant stack from the convention center to my hotel room was comical. Okay, so basically he made a game of walking home from PAX, like a stacking game, kind of like a Jenga situation here. And when I came into the hotel room, uh, Airbnb room, and saw the stack of games that he had amassed, you have to imagine that he had his arms down as low as they would go and had stack, 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 stack in front of him and probably covering up his line of sight. No, that would be silly. They were just up to my line of sight. Okay, I was thinking maybe you had the, the, two, the little card games on the side <laughs> so that you could have built yourself like a little peering through window before. I had, I had a backpack. Those also had games in them. Okay, so you had a bunch of new games from PAX. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we're p- busy playing through, we're making a dent. In yeah, the we're making a dent in them. Mm-hmm. Um, also, while we were gone, a couple of Kickstarters came in, uh, and we've played through a couple of those as well. Was this a Kickstarter? So this game that is sitting in front of us that will be covered uh, f- further down this particular episode mm-hmm. uh, is, uh, def- yes, it is a Kickstarter. This uh, is a great game. When are we talking game. about this? Uh, when are we talking later? about it? Later. Okay. We're talking about it later. We're talking about PAX now. We're talking about PAX now. This is a segment where we talk about PAX. Got it. PAX was great. Uh, I, I, it was three days. I've never been to a, a PAX Unplugged before. I've been to all of the major PAXs, uh, that is to say all the PAX Primes. Uh, video games, uh, panels, more video games, and then you know what used to be a smaller and is now a bigger area for tabletop. But I'd never been to one that is entirely devoted to tabletop for three days and it was fantastic to walk around. It's really nice to be able to have an entire expo hall devoted entirely to board games. Very nice and very quiet. It was relatively quiet. It was relatively, I mean, as quiet as a hall full of thousands of people can be, but yes. Yeah, if you are someone who is, uh, you know, uh, stressed out by large and loud crowds, um, uh, if I were to try to put myself in the shoes of someone like that, it probably is uh, quite a bit more tolerable than just being screamed at by uh, giant animatronics telling you to play their, their latest video game. It's probably a lot less intense. Great. The first look area was fantastic. Um, all kinds of n- cool new games there. Uh, I sit down just on a whim, right? You sit down and you say, what is this game? I don't know anything about it. And it's excellent how it just how a game that you didn't even know existed and you just see sitting on a table can just blow you away. Alternately, uh, a game how that you're super hyped for, and you're like, oh, I can't wait to get my hands on that and try that, and it turns out to not be that awesome. Um, just all in all, a, a fantastic experience. What was your, I was there for all three days. Um, you were just there uh, for one day. Mm-hmm. What did you think? How did you feel? Just going in for one day, dipping in, getting an idea, and then getting out. Well, I think that I, I, I am, Dear listener, much less plugged into the uh, the the game world in the way that Paul is, so I'm not as aware of what new is coming out. Um, and I think one of the things that I really enjoyed about the convention was being able to see all these uh, ideas that are out there and kind of new new game concepts that I you know hadn't hadn't been exposed to before uh there's definitely some things there that i'm excited for when they actually do come out there was one where you where you push it you make a little like architectural sculpture building based on cards that you draw and then you have to physically 
scoot it into the playing field without collapsing it. Mega City, Mega City Oceania. Yeah, I'd never seen anything like that. It was uh, seemed like a really fun combination of um, like a, a building and dexterity game with uh, some like puzzle aspects to it. So anyway, point being. I really enjoyed seeing all the different kinds of games because in general, there's a few designers who I like and I, you know, I pay attention to when they have new things coming out, but mostly the games that come into my life are through you, Mm. which is also great. Paul is a wonderful curator of games. If you have any friends who need a recommendation for a game they might like, you know, a two minute conversation with Paul will yield an answer. He's, he's great with this. Um, So it's really fun to, it was fun for me to see, the breadth of things that are out there. Yeah, the uh, we we saw all kinds of things from simple from simple family card games to the the big the big chonkin. Uh, there was a there was one that was uh, I think it was called like Aldara Unleashed. It was the one with the big giant three D printed miniatures on the big hex map. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just like two booths away was here's a little card game you can play over dinner. Um, we. Uh, we enjoyed ourselves, and we would hardly, heartily, not hardly, heartily recommend anyone interested in going to a convention, whether you've never been before or maybe you're a little convention jaded. Um, if you are interested in board games and are anywhere close to the Philadelphia area, the next time PAX Unplugged rolls around, I would say uh, take the time to, to, to stop by for at least a day. The Philly Convention Center, much more wide open, much easier to get around. There's some people complaining about how there's only one way in and multiple ways out. Uh, but that's kind of just what you have to do. Uh, I don't know if that's part of the convention protocol or if it's because of these troubled times we live in where they want to make sure people aren't sneaking in without getting a vaccine check or whatever. Well, much better than having a bunch of ways in and only one escape. That's true. The preferable, <laughs> preferable uh, <laughs> only one way out is probably not a good idea and violates several uh, you know, building codes. I'm sure. So uh, that's it. That's our that's our very vague overview of packs. The general recommendation, I think, is thumbs up. And there are some games that came in over the weekend from Kickstarter, in addition to ones that I picked up as we talked about that I carried the mile and a half back from the convention center. Uh, we're going to start with one of those uh, right now, and uh, we'll be right back. Tuesday night around midnight, I'm standing on the corner smoking a, a Johnny Jack, and I saw something I shouldn't have seen. Did you just see that over there, stranger? I feel like we shouldn't have seen that, other stranger. It certainly seemed mysterious and no good. We better get out of town. Let's so, go. On go out of town. Walk on this dark road. I've got a better idea. How about this car? Oh, no, the car's broken down. We do have to walk. There's a bus. There's a bus we can take, but you gotta play the right action card. And that's when it all went off the rails. Mantis Falls. Mantis Falls. That's uh, it's a game of trust. It's what it bills itself as. It is a Kickstarter that just came out, that just fulfilled. It came to our house while we were at PAX. We tried it out when we got back. Uh, before we give you our review on it, uh, let's uh, run, run it down a little bit, because I think, I think it is a game that I have not quite seen before. It's definitely unlike anything I've seen before either. Uh, Mantis Falls is a two to three player social deduction game. The thing that drew my interest was that it was it, it primarily seems to build itself as a two player social deduction game. 
Uh, the idea is that the two players have seen something they shouldn't have seen. The game is very vague about that. And now they're trying to get out of town before the people they've seen whack them? Is that maybe? Or slowly kill them. It's less of a whacking and more of a... Yeah, wear them down with obstacles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're going to describe the components here so that you, the dear listener can uh, maybe get an idea without having to actually go to a web browser and look up pictures. What we have here is a nice cloth play mat. It says Mantis Falls with a, with a rose, I think, or something in the upper left. You have a grid in the middle that represents the road. And the bottom row of the grid, there's four, four card slots in each row. The bottom row represents sundown. The middle row represents night. And the top row represents dark and you're trying to wind your way from the lower right to the upper left. You have event cards, you have action cards, and you have allies that can help you on the way. Every turn plays out roughly the same, depending on whose turn it is. Uh, That person will move themselves up to one space forward on the road, and then uh, draw an event. And the event can be public, or it can be private, whereas the person drawing it only is the only person who's able to see that event. And it will give you some conditions that you have to meet in order to bypass the event. And if you don't meet those conditions, then one or both of the players will receive wounds. But- it's usually a uh, an attack of some kind from a perpetrator who has got a certain number of health points. Yep. And you have to come up with, from your hidden hand and your partner's hidden hand, enough of a counterattack to vanquish the event. To defeat the event, to bypass the event, to take care of the handle of the event. Now, you might be asking yourself, well, this just kind of sounds like a cooperative game. You might be asking yourself, I wonder how social deduction plays into this. That's exactly what I was going to ask. Paul, maybe you could explain. When the game starts, each player is handed a roll card. Uh, The roll cards include two witness cards and one assassin card. Uh, If you are a witness, your goal is just to get all the way to the end of the road alive. And to have both witnesses wind up at the end of the road alive. Yep, it's to have both witnesses at the end of the road. If one of you is an assassin, then your goal is to kill the witness, or at least make sure the witness dies. You win if the witness dies. The witness can also win if the assassin player dies. So if I'm a witness and Laura is an assassin, and then Laura dies, she turns over her roll card, and it turns out she was the assassin, I win. Even if I'm not the one who killed her. Is there a way for the witness to win if the other player is the assassin and the assassin doesn't die? Yeah, if the, if the witness uh, is able to make it to the end of the road, uh, and I think it's if, the, if, the, if all witnesses start their turn at the end of the road, the game wins. Okay, simple. The, the if all win. witnesses, got yeah, it. The game is won. Uh, there are a few other little things that we could mention in here, but they're all little little side things that are not relevant to the core of the game. But that that is the core of the game, is on your turn, you will move up the road, you will uh, turn over an event and try to figure out how to deal with it. And the way you deal with the event is through a hand of action cards that you have in your hand. You can play unlimited action cards from your hand, provided that the cards that you play have the same suit, essentially. Yep. With a couple of exceptions, there might be a couple of cards in there that do let you play something off Let you play other things. But there, there are five or six suits in the game, and the suits are kind of tied together. They're, they're thematic. Uh, you're not going to have, like, you know, deal eight damage 
you know, in, in the two cards that deal eight damage in the same suit. But you what you might have is you might have the gun in in a suit and you might have some cards that say bullet. In, in all different suits. In though. all different yeah. suits, maybe. That's kind of a neat thing to think about. It's uh it's it like we said, it is unlike it's unlike a game we've played. Now that we've described uh, how the game plays, let's talk about what we do and what we don't like. Well, big do like is the setting and the art and just the whole presentation, really. It comes with these fantastic little bags that are, you know, if you're like most board gamers, you probably have a bunch of plastic bags and or crown royal bags that grace most of your games. This one doesn't require any of that because it has really nice little canvas bags that come with it. So all the components have a home already and you have these nice little burned wooden score tiles for tracking your health. Everything is just visually very, very nice and a delight. It's also fun. I think the cards have some good text on them. It's not just a matter of the, you know, what it does, but you get a little sense of the story that is unfolding as you play it. Those things I think I really liked. What about you, Paul? Uh, I like the I like the, the the looking at your hand and thinking I've got seven cards in my hand and I've got three of this suit and two of that suit. What can I what can I what kind of order of actions can I construct with the cards from my hand in order to solve this? I like that you can freely talk to your partner about what cards you're going to play, mm-hmm. uh, but as the assassin, you can also then completely lie about what's in your hand. I have a card that. Uh, lets me play it, and as long as the other person also plays a copy of that card, we can do a bunch of damage. Do you have one of those? No, I totally don't. I wish I did. That sounds like something an assassin would say. A not very good assassin, <laughs> but it definitely sounds like something an assassin would say. The presentation is is top-notch here. I got the Kickstarter version. I don't know what they're going to be doing with the retail version, but the Kickstarter version came with these cool wooden wound trackers and little red and black buttons. Uh, they, they will track your wounds and also something called a last gasp. When you run out of wounds, you have this one last final chance to heal yourself up. Uh, or if you don't have any heal cards... Deal a fatal blow. To deal a fatal blow to someone else. Uh, that, that's, that's kind of a neat thing. Uh, there are cards that will manipulate that as well, such as heal yourself to full, but, but get rid of all your last gasps. So if you die you're done. You don't get, this is your final life. That's pretty neat. There's definitely the theme is present. It just, it it is, you know, dripping with theme. Let's talk about some things that we didn't quite like about it. Yeah. Well, first of all, both times we played, we were both witnesses, which is a relief uh, to be able to ultimately trust your partner. I will tell you that playing both times we played we both ended up being witnesses and we ended up working together there was a little bit of can i trust her can i not trust her but there seemed to me uh to be a lot of ways that you can show your hand literally and metaphorically and say look look at the cards in my hand you can trust me so as soon as we realized that there was no reason not to trust each other then it just became like playing pandemic where I know what you have and you know what I have. And we discussed together what the best way to make it through is. In some cases, actually, and this I think I will say is one of the things I didn't like about it, was it is pretty difficult to make it to the end, both of you with full health, once you fold in the rest of the cards. The second time we played and we had all those 
other cards in the deck because there are certain places in the game where you have to take a wound no matter what happens yep. just by virtue of standing on that card and they're yep. built into it. So it is, and there's not a lot of healing, at least not when we folded in the rest of the cards in the deck to kind of disperse out the healing cards that were there. Healing is difficult to come by, that's for sure. Because you can't decide this game we're going to play with the assassin. You can't really do that in a game like this. So I don't know how many times we could play this game until one of us is the assassin. Uh, but then I was thinking, who who's the audience for this game? Who wants to say to someone, hey, let's play a cooperative game that might not actually be cooperative? Uh, I thought that would be a, a good lure for me, but it turns out when actually playing, not not knowing if you can trust the person you're supposed to be cooperating with, turns out to be kind of a bummer. Uh, in a game with more players where you have three players who are who are not traitors and one person who is, you can kind of spread out the distrust a little bit. You can, you can game the system a little bit more. Uh, but even then, I'm not necessarily a big fan of all trader mechanic games. Uh, but in this, in this intimate setting where it's like, I can't necessarily trust the person sitting across from me, you look at your partner and you say, hey, let's play that game where we can't necessarily trust each other. I don't know. If I wanted that, I, I don't know. I, I just I don't actually think I ever do want that. <laughs> I either want to play a game where we're competing or a game where we're working together. I don't, I don't want to do some unknown of the two that is decided at game time. Um, and so for that, after we played it a couple of times, I said, ah, I just, I, I, I don't really enjoy the, the pure cooperative game, and I don't really enjoy the possibility that you might be the traitor. Uh, like, I'm trying to imagine how that would even play out. And I think at the end of the day, it just doesn't quite deserve a spot on our shelf. There are a lot of people out there, I'm sure, who will enjoy this game, and it is a fine product. I don't regret purchasing it. I, I've kickstarted a lot of stuff. I don't have any regrets over any of the single one that I've paid money for and received. It doesn't mean I've kept them all. doesn't mean I've even liked them all, but I've not regretted any of them, except for one, which maybe we'll cover. That'll get its own episode, I think. <laughs> the game that shall not be the named. The game that shall not be named. We will talk about that in a future podcast at some point. Um, but Mantis Falls, unfortunately, I think is, it's a, a seller for us. Yep. Hello, 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 hello dear, dear listener. listener. This is Paul. And Laura. From the future. What you're about to hear is the first recording we made as part of this podcast idea. It was on a lark, so everything's going to sound echoey and much more loosey-goosey than the tip-top tight ship we're running here now, a distant four days later. <laughs> With that out of the way, Enjoy! Mic check. Mic check. Okay. Here we are. Uh, we've finished our first inaugural, our inaugural game, not our first inaugural game. <laughs> our inaugural game, Maglev Metro. We're back from PAX. We were excited to pick this game up. Maglev. Maglev. Not war. Not war. That That's the the theme here is, is we want to build. We're not looking to destroy. We're looking to build, to build a future for the robots, to shuttle robots. There's nothing robots like than commuting. Mm-hmm. And I, going back to their lab or warehouse or factory or hub. Not really sure why we programmed robots to enjoy the act of commuting. I suppose it's 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 worse. We could have programmed them to hate commuting. 
<laughs> to truly create them in our image. So we just finished this up. I uh, am curious to hear your thoughts, Miss Laura, about this game. Well, I liked it. Uh, I, I like games where you get to build roots, um, and I like the delivery aspect of delivering commuters and robots mm. to their desired destinations. Um, I think one of the things that I found really fun about the game was the ability to adjust where your robots are on your player board flexibility you mm-hmm. like that flexibility and so that you don't have to ever feel locked in about what advancements you make for yourself with certain abilities because you can shift them around as you go and i think that actually became a really crucial part of the game once you realize that there are no more robots on the board to now, pick up it was a surprise you just find yourself one day you just it's like round i don't know eight and, and not enough just robots. like no more robots what happened to all the robots uh we've picked them all up and they have they have now dwelling in our you know massive operation center. What mistakes did you feel like you made? Obviously, I will look. I'm gonna set the record straight here. You whooped me, fifty to thirty eight. You know, not only did I whoop you, <laughs> we did. But... We bought this game used, and it came with uh, with some unfortunate people uh, who they well, don't know they're unfortunate yet. Really, just because they included their scores still on the score pad rather yeah. than covering their shame and ripping it off before yeah. uh, so, selling it back to the store to sell to us. So then we got to see their scores at the yeah. end of the game, which yeah. were right on par with you. Like, you wouldn't okay. have come last. All right. I was about to say a comment about how hard they just got dunked on, but like <laughs> then that means the transitive dunking property means that I also got dunked on. You did exactly as well as S did. You scored 50 points, which is more than any of these people. We had scores of 40, 37, 38, and 42, and you just rocked it. And I was asking you what mistake maybe you, what mistakes you've made. I would posit that you did not make any mistakes. Well, what would I do differently in a subsequent game? I suppose. Right. So I like efficiency games, right? Yeah. And I think I, if I had noticed the adjust ability sooner, Mm. I think that I could have made some better Mm. moves with adjusting the robots sooner. I don't think I would have liked the outcome because then you would have gotten, (laughs) you would have had even more points. I also think one, definitely one thing I learned is that this extra action thing is great if you can get it early, but it's maybe not so useful to try to fill in later, especially when there's these other extra action ones you can fill out. And I wish that I hadn't wasted guys on that second extra action because you can't move the colored guys around. Speaking of that, I committed to my extra actions and left uh, two of the three partially filled, doing me absolutely no good uh, because I had the victory point card that said, you get some extra points for every row of these extra actions. That's funny. I had the the counterpoint, which is I get five points for, for every, every empty one. For everyone that Paul leaves empty? That's a pretty mean card. <laughs> it even says your name on it. Who made that? It, that's, man. <laughs> Who made that what card? What did you think of the game, Paul? Um, I I went into it not being... I'm, I go into these kinds of games not the biggest fan of games where there's very little to no surprises. Mm. Where where I've played previous train games in the past where you lay out the board and I could see how you could beautiful mind your way to understanding exactly who's going to win. Because all the all the pieces are in place and and the, uh, there's going to be no pieces to draw out of a bag or no cards that are going to get flipped over. Mm. And, and there's a good chunk of that here. Well, there are literally pieces to draw out of a bag, though. I, I, oh boy, it's like you—it's like you know 
what I'm going to say. It's like I heard the thing that you already said. There are pieces you draw out of the bag, and that's what makes it interesting. Um, like, a, you know, I don't like referencing other games too much when talking about this game, but that is what I like about a game like Irish Gage. You pull the cubes out of the bag, and everyone has that, oh, moment. And I don't think anyone's going to be doing that for this. Mm. Uh, but it's it's nice to, like, you set everything up, and then it can have a little bit of a, of a slot machine or pinata feel where you say, my track is laid out, I'm committed, let's see, let's see what I get. The good news is, is that it's uh, 90 minutes to play. Yeah. Um, the, the pieces are nice and, and chonky, and it feels really good to lock in a station on these, on these cool divots on the board. We played on the uh, Manhattan side, which has this big giant hub that you can build all your tracks out of. Um, the rulebook even specifically calls this out as being like friendlier of the two. Mm-hmm. A lot more chance for flexibility and bonus VPs and that kind of stuff, despite the fact that you have that giant central park in there that you can't build around. The Berlin side, I'm interested in trying the Berlin side yeah. and seeing how that does. It adds extra spots for the robots to go, which I can only guess that means that that um, it's going to be easier to get robots around, which means the robots will fill up your board sooner. Mm-hmm. If that's my guess. I'm, you know, Although I'm not a... it's pretty convenient to be able to drop the robots off the, at the hub. So yeah. I, I'll be curious to see how that affects gameplay. At the very least, it gives you... It, I assume we're going to have this many stations, 11 stations, yeah. plus three more Plus stations. three more, but they'll already be on the board when the game starts. Got it. Uh, I guess that takes the place of the hub. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I'm... I'm I'm okay with this game so far. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't. I don't immediately hate it. Uh, that's damn. Kind of damning with faint praise, I guess. I don't. I, I'm not inclined to like these kinds of games. And for a game that is this kind of game, which mm-hmm. is pick up, deliver, uh, efficiency planning, which I'm bad at and or don't enjoy, maybe because I'm bad at. Uh, I don't. I don't hate it. Uh, uh, it's it's earnest. It feels like a light beer. <laughs> yeah, it is a bit like a light beer. I'm surprised that the box says 14 and up for the age because I think that no. this could be super uh, accessible for younger people than that. Not to be mean to 14 year olds, <laughs> but like, what kind of remedial 14 year old? What kind of what kind of what kind of remedial 13 year old wouldn't be able to understand this game? Yeah. Son, today you are 14, <laughs> and now today we will play Maglev Metro. No, yep. I, no, I I definitely think like a a bright ten year old yeah. with with a decent attention span could stick this game out. Yeah, it definitely feels like lighter fare. I think it has nice, like you said, the the pieces feel good. This laying over of the of the clear track tiles over each other is is satisfying and has nice tabletop appeal. Tabletop appeal. Um, but I I agree. It didn't it didn't blow my mind. Were you expecting it to? I don't know that I was expecting it to blow my mind, but I was expecting it to be a little bit more substantial than it was in the end. Okay. Well, let's give it another couple of tries. Yes. Uh, We may or may not record our opinions after the second try, but I like getting that first opinion in, and then we will maybe play it one or two more times, or we'll definitely play it one or two more times, and then come back and give our final judgment, and then we will ultimately decide if it's a a keeper or a seller, because we're pretty quick about deciding that kind of thing around here. We're we're trying to be. We have to be. We have to be because He has a problem. I I, I think I might have a problem. (laughs) And this is this is this is what good is therapy if not worked through publicly, I think. Perfect. Hello. 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 Oh, greetings. Greetings. Once again, dear listener. From the future. 
As you just plainly heard, the original plan was to play a couple more games of Maglev Metro and to report back on our findings. I am here to report that we did indeed play those couple of games. The second game was a narrower defeat for Paul, but redemption was finally at hand on the third game as Paul scored a resounding victory. Okay, more emphasis on resounding. I mean, he like doubled my points. All of our compliments and criticisms remained intact, and we even recorded a follow-up segment, but upon review... We discovered that it really, really sucked. So, we'll leave it at that, dear listener. We decided that we'd played enough times to appreciate it, but with space at a premium on our shelf, it wasn't really compelling enough to keep in our collection. We're sure that someone out there will enjoy it, and would gladly recommend it to anyone remotely interested in pick-up-and-deliver games that look really good on the table. So... From both of us to all of you, bye! Take it away. It's the distant future. The distant future. The cyberpunk future. Cyberpunks. You work for some kind of entity that is able to hack into the brains of criminals and take over their actions. The Brain Mind Hack Coalition. That's definitely it. And you're able to force them to pick up things like, uh... Guns. Definitely guns. Money. Cars. Some weird thing called the crack box. And then you can make them move, maybe across blockades, to stand in zones where they can be alone, or with a sentinel, or with other criminals, holding or not holding things, and complete objectives. Laura, this game sounds thrilling. Yeah, it is actually really, really fun. So you're telling me that this game exists? Oh, it does. It does. It is actually available... Oh, wait. No, it is, it is, it is called In Too Deep. It is by Burnt Island Games, and it... Kickstarter has just shipped and been fulfilled, so if you are hearing this now, it is probably too late for you to go back and kickstart unless you invent a time machine. Uh, That is not one of the items that is available in the game, unfortunately. It's not that kind of game. I understand there is a retail version coming out, uh, which will be slightly less deluxe than the deluxe version, but we'll cover that in a little bit. On the table before us, which uh, you listeners at home, or in the car, or on subway, or bicycle, Moped. Or really, wherever you might be, that and you're using your ears. That you're using your, <laughs> That's the great thing about ears. You can <laughs> use them anywhere. Mm-hmm. You can't see this, but on our table is uh, the remnants of our third playthrough. I would describe it as a set collection, almost hidden role kind of game. Like in the mm-hmm. vein of, you haven't played these, but in the vein of something like a War of Whispers uh, or a, uh, a Veiled Fate which I think is another Kickstarter project that I have not backed, thankfully. <laughs> thankfully for you or the, are you, for are you my wallet. Here? Thankfully for I my see. wallet. People are moving around trying to complete objectives and nobody really knows what they are. So it, it's you, the player, are not controlling your own person on the board. Instead, you're controlling five of ten criminals, uh, each with their own unique personalities and special abilities with the goal of completing objectives in order to gain victory points, which the game calls intel. The general idea of the game is that you are hooking into these criminals 
and moving them around on the board and activating abilities and trying to get the board into a certain state to cash in objectives, whether they are small time ones that you can cash in as a free action or bigger ones with bigger rewards that are more difficult to do. For example, there might be one that says, pick a criminal, find them alone in a zone with nothing else, no items, no other criminals, uh, nothing else, and a blockade on both sides. That's very difficult to set up, but it is very lucrative for rewards. So I would like to backtrack for a second and give a little more of an overview about how this game plays, because for me, I had never played anything like this. I liked it a lot. Go for it. So I 100% agree about the set collection piece, the hidden role piece. The world that it creates is a cyberpunk world, uh, and the characters that you are, quote, hooking into... I suppose the idea is that you're some kind of a like a virus, or that you're you're, you're a, uh, like a mind police. Yeah, you're basically, and you're able to ha- to hack into the minds of these criminals and control them to do your actions. Yes, uh, I think one of the things that is really cool about it is that from turn to turn, you may not be controlling the same characters. Uh, so you mentioned that that you play the game with five of ten criminals. But in reality, in any given turn, you're probably only controlling two, maybe three if you want to take a hit for, for corruption. Um, or you might be stealing one of the characters from your opponent who's currently controlling them. And you, you will do that to be able to achieve the goals that you have on your cards. As you mentioned, maybe you have to be in a certain zone. Maybe you have to be holding a certain thing. Maybe you have to move these blockades so that you're sandwiched with them. There's all these moving parts on the board, but you can choose who you use to do those things. So you might want to pick the characters who have the best uh, path to getting there or have the abilities that enable you to do it in fewer actions or whatever it might be. So we're looking at the table right now, and I want you, the viewer, the viewer, I want you, the listener, to uh, just picture. Uh, We have this octagonal board. Uh, We have every section of this octagon is one of eight sections in the city with names like the parish, the blocks, the towers, downtown, Ion Heights. And we have these five criminals, the fixer, the jumper, the drone jack, the smuggler, and the scourge. And they all have their own special abilities that unlock the more you use them over the course of the game. When you, at the beginning of the game, you hook into the fixer once, twice, and and, and it's like, like a little creeping thought in the back of the fixer's head. But then as you become more and more familiar with how the fixer's brain works, you start unlocking their abilities. You start unlocking the ability to jump over to the opposite side of the of the board. With, if you're the with, jumper. If, if you're the jumper. Normally, picking up items is a full action to do. But with the smuggler, if you spend enough time inside the smuggler's brain, you then gain the ability to pick up items for free, which doesn't sound like a big deal if you've never played the game, but that is a tremendous deal, being able to pick up items for free. You move these criminals around. You set the board to a certain state. And sometimes the board is already in that state. I have a lot of experience with watching Laura say, all right, the turn, my turn has started. And guess what? The board is already in the state to cash in this minor objective. One of the really fun things about this game, I think, 
is that sometimes you will watch your opponent just kind of waltz into a situation that sets you up for your next turn. It's great. And you're, then you, you're sitting here just gnawing. You're just gnawing your on your fingers. Like, oh, are you really going to pick up that object and move to downtown? <laughs> is that really what you're going to do? Are you really going to move downtown and stand next to the Sentinel <laughs> while no other criminals are in the area? Is that really what you're going to do? Oh. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, actually. The the way that the cards actually have some interplay together, too. Certain, there are certain combinations of objects uh, and positioning of um, the sentinel that could be advantageous to for multiple cards and things like that. So there's always a possibility, and I think with this with this game, as far as replayability, part of what you will have to kind of develop is a little bit of familiarity with the sorts of combos that are on cards so that you might be able to not hand as many batons over <laughs> to the other side. Yeah, this game will definitely, uh, players will definitely benefit from knowing, oh, well, she has the, the flying drone. She has the flying drone. Oh, and she's moving to the area with the blaster. I, I Oh, I know what she's about to do. I'm going to have to try to stop her. I think the massive variety in the cards makes that a little difficult, but mm -hmm. if you just play game after game after game, you start to recognize, much like, I would assume, much like chess players know, oh, well, you're playing the, you know, the mechanics gambit. Uh, the chess came up for me thinking about this game purely and that there are several pieces that you can choose from that each has a special ability. And in a couple of cases, it's a movement ability specifically, but... Nevertheless, there are unique actions that each of the pieces can take. So there, I think there is a bit of a chess-like play to it sure. in that respect. Yeah, if I do this, then I know the jump. If I put the jumper here, then the next person could just take the jumper from me and jump with the jumper to the other side, yeah. pick up that, and that's going to ruin my plan. There's been a couple of times I've thought about that. Other mechanics in this game that, that really make it shine are, and I can't believe we haven't mentioned it up to this point, the titular In Too Deep. Oh, Why yeah. is it called In Too Deep? Because as you complete these objectives, you will start drawing cards from a deck, from the Dilemma deck. And the Dilemma deck gives you cool things, but also at the expense, at the, at the expense, at the expense of corruption. Uh, and much like uh, other games, uh, other smaller Euro games, I'm thinking uh, High Society, if you have too much corruption, it doesn't prevent you from winning, but it definitely penalizes you. But there's the, the second condition, which is that all of us are, since we are all mind police, we are all trying to foil the organization these criminals belong to. Uh, and if we are able to accomplish certain goals, then the plot is foiled. The problem with that is that whoever has gone in too deep gets a major point penalty uh, for going in too deep. So if the person who is winning the game, based solely on the sheer amount of stuff they've gotten at the expense of corruption, maybe they do what they can to make sure that the plot is not foiled so that they don't get penalized. Which is exactly how our third game ended. Yes. I should mention that I had a really excellent final turn where I was able to play two of my cards. And in general, you mostly have two, maybe three, if you've taken an extra action. Of your objective cards. Of my objective cards, yeah. yes. Was able to play two of them in the last turn, which effectively ended the game. Yes. As I was doing this and deciding what evidence I wanted to file, my husband says to me, 
maybe you want to foil the plot, seeing as you are about to have a massive handful of corruption, because yeah. when you complete the objectives, you also take corruption cards. Yes. In fact, I think almost Anytime all you complete of them, an objective, you have to take corruption cards. And, yeah. and they can they can be quite lucrative, but at the cost of this corruption that can penalize you if the plot is foiled. And it is a really hefty penalty, like a, a game-swinging penalty. In this case, it was a game-swinging penalty. Had I not foiled the plot with the evidence that I chose to file, thank you, yeah. I would have lost. Yeah. And it would have been uh, like a quarter of my points, basically, I was able to save by, by not uh, foiling the plot. So the first game we played, uh, I absolutely creamed you um, because I was... Uh, collecting stuff in these corruption cards that made the fact that I was in too deep, uh, that made that fact irrelevant because I scored so many points to make up for it. Mm -hmm. The second game, uh, the inverse happened. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, You scored a ridiculous amount of points, and I'm not sure if you went in too deep that time or not. I think I still went in too deep, and I so I lost by even I lost even harder. The third game, I think, went exactly like the designers intend, which is... Had you not purposely prevented the plot from being foiled, I know it sounds like some doublespeak. It's a lot of negatives. Remember, remember, we're mind police. We're trying to foil the plot. Had you not prevented the plot from being foiled, you would have lost the game. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and so you looked at your hands and you looked at your hand of corruption cards and said, "I have. I'm in. Definitely, I'm in too deep." So what I need to do is make sure this plot does not get foiled. I need to make sure the syndicate wins the day because then I won't get punished for going in too deep. Perfect. I think, and I think that I think that that is exactly the gameplay experience that the designers intended. Mm-hmm. I enjoy it. Uh, I think a rating system is 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 okay or not. It's you know what do we do? Rate it out of five? Do we rate it out of ten? I don't know. Um, I think. What really ultimately matters is, am I going to keep it? Am I excited about playing it? And the answer is yes. Answer is absolutely yes. It's a completely, a completely original experience. I've never played a game like it before. And I must say, if you have it, if you're listening to this, and have a chance to get the deluxe version with the miniatures, uh, the miniatures are fantastic. They look exactly like the cards that come with the game. They are nice and tall. They fit into these cool colored bases that you can slot the items into as you carry the items around the board. Uh, the as I understand, the retail version is going to come with big, chunky screen printed meeples, which is also probably pretty cool. Or maybe it'll come with standees. I'm not sure. I got in on the deluxe edition. I think the miniatures are fantastic. I'm a miniature painter. It's something I also do, and I'm really looking forward to to getting these guys painted up. I think it, it's a game that looks great on the table. It plays up to five. I, I'm a little curious about how how chaotic five players might be. Uh, but we'll find out. We've got a couple gaming friends that we play with. We'll play with four, and we'll see how that goes. I'm actually really excited to play with more people. Primarily, here's my big complaint about playing with two people, and yeah. it, this has been fun. I would be happy to play this again. I've been enjoying playing it for the yeah. past couple days. Yeah. But I do think that we, in both playthroughs, or all three playthroughs so far, we have not gotten to the level three no, that's plot true. cards yeah. at all. So, dear listeners... Uh, one of the things about these cards that you, the secret objective cards, is there's two different kinds. There's like basic task cards. They're all, nothing is too basic. They're all a little bit tricky. And then there's three stages of plot cards where they have uh, seven different plot lines I think you can you can incorporate. You always play with five of them when you're playing with two players. And they have a level one of the plot, level two of the plot, and a level three of the plot. 
and you have to go in order. So it's just there's not enough time in a game to get through the level one, the level two, and the level three if both people are actually playing cards at a clip, which we do. Here's a quick example, and then I think we can wrap this up. Uh, level one. You must be in Ion Heights with at least two other criminals. Easy to do. But then the level two is you must be alone and holding the Psy codes. Both of the zones adjacent to you must have exactly one criminal. A little more tricky. Then level three. You must be in Riverside with the blaster. A criminal must be in Zin Bazaar holding the cash. And there must be a zone with at least three criminals in it. That's a lot to put together, but the rewards are, are, are big. Is there a synonym for big? Sizable. Sizable. Hefty. Massive. Chonky. Chonky. I think we've used chonky. We, what we need is a little ding every time we say the word chonky or some variant of chonk. Uh, I don't think that would look good for us. No, there's not a synonym for big. No. It's the only word there is for something that is large. I think it's a great game. Um, I, I'm keeping it. It's, I'm looking forward to playing it with all kinds of people. I'm looking forward to painting up the miniatures and keeping them in my display case. Thumbs up. Hello, dear listener. This is Paul. And Laura. And we want to thank you for giving our little podcast a try on this first episode. We've learned a lot. We've had a lot of fun. And if we've done it right, you should have two or three more episodes to dive into right now so just let the thing keep running on into the next one just, just run just run just it on leave in. it alone right your, there if your hand if your hand is heading towards the stop button use your other hand to smack it away <laughs> so thanks for listening and we hope that you will honor us with your ears again soon you made me wing it you gotta wing it too i'm gonna wing it <laughs> i'm gonna do this Tuesday night, midnight, I'm standing on a corner smoking a Johnny Jack when I saw something that I shouldn't have seen. Hey, stranger. I shouldn't have seen you. <laughs> that was terrible. I'm <laughs> That's sorry. Terrible. Hey, stranger. <laughs>